We are one year out from the 2024 U.S. presidential election, and it seems investors already have some policy anxiety. I'm one of them. But we're here for you with ideas and answers. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of November 6, 2023, and today we have a topic that might seem a bit out of left field or right field, (laughs) the 24 presidential and congressional election in the U.S., So being about a year out from Election Day, unless you are a D.C. political aficionado, you might think it is far too early for us to be talking about this. We don't even have official candidates yet. We haven't had the primaries, the conventions, the debates. There are no firm policy proposals on the table for us to talk through yet. But we still have plenty to cover today, and we think it's actually quite important that we do so before investors head into election year. Exactly. Election cycles are literal clockwork. And that's why today we're focused not on the guesswork for 2024, but how investors can approach election years in general. We're here to share our fundamental principles for investing when political noise gets loud, which is maybe not so helpful, and for when real policy change is on the table, where that might be a little more helpful. We're going to do so by asking and answering three key questions. The first of which is, do politics matter for the economy or markets? The answer may surprise you. Then there's question two. To the extent that elections do matter for the economy and for markets, what are the most important policy gaps that could change things and make things feel more uncertain? Question number three, how do we translate all of this into investing? I am jazzed that we're answering these questions right at the beginning of the election cycle because it drives home that we're not just reacting to the 2024 race. Our guidance for investors reflects as many presidential cycles as various data series allow us, some going back to the late 90s, others back to the 1930s. So let's go. Julia, do elections matter for markets or at least for the economy? I'm going to put this bluntly. No, no, they don't matter. Political noise does not drive economic or market outcomes if those decades of history you mentioned are anything to go by. And I'm going to put numbers behind this because this can come as such a shock even to really experienced investors. We looked at a wide variety of consumer, corporate, and market indicators with as much history as the data allows. And the data doesn't lie. Economic outcomes are almost identical regardless of what administration is in power. Well, since that's surprising and since we looked at the data, why don't you give us a highlight reel from that assortment of sources you mentioned? I'll give you one from the consumer sphere and one from the corporate side. For consumers, we combine inflation and unemployment rates to give ourselves a sense of consumer relief or stress across cycles. It's actually called the misery index when we combine unemployment and inflation together. And I guess that we can say that the U.S. consumer is equally miserable no matter who is in charge at least since 1945, because the average misery index level under Republican administrations is 9.5%. 
versus 9% for Democrats. Zero material difference there. And what about the corporate data that you mentioned? One of the most common indicators that we'd look at monthly are PMIs, Purchasing Managers Indexes, which measure sentiment in manufacturing and services sectors. And this is based on sales, new orders, costs of those inputs, et cetera. Our data here goes back to 1998 and is so similar that we need to add a decimal point to even differentiate between the administrations. The average for Republican administrations had a PMI of 54.3 versus the Democratic average of 54.9. Well, and we know that over long periods of time, on average, the equity market has moved higher. So I'm going to guess that you would say with the real economy unaffected by political leadership regimes, investors should expect that stocks would be potentially unaffected as well. Right. That one's pretty simple. There are no clear trends on equity performance or volatility for any asset class, really, under the leadership of each party. Why, though? And I know that I'm getting out of line of our list of questions today, but politics can seem so all-encompassing and elections make everyone feel like there's everything at stake. But you're saying, or we're saying, that they do not drive the economy. And just how can that be the case? There are, drumroll please, three reasons. There are always three reasons on this podcast. And first is that even though there's a lot under the president's control and under Congress's control, the most that they can control when it comes to the economy is fiscal policy. So spending and collecting revenue. No one-party sweep or majority or electoral mandate can give you anything more than that level of control. Elected officials can spend and they can tax and that's it. And when they do those things, they're often compromising with the other party. And in almost all cases, there's a multi-year lag for fiscal policy implementation, meaning if a group of congressional professionals put forward a plan, it might not actually take effect right away. And so that smooths out the impact of one party relative to another over time. I'll let you get on, though, to reason number two. Reason number two is the other side of the fiscal coin, monetary policy. The Fed controls monetary policy and, like most other central banks globally, is intentionally apolitical so that, for example, an administration, which changes more often than the Fed leadership, can't go ordering the central bank to print money to fund their spending plans. But the Fed chair is appointed by the president. Is that really so apolitical? Fair point. Actually, yes, it is still apolitical, even though these are presidential appointees. Each of the last five Fed chairs, going back to Volcker, who came in in 79, has served under presidents of both parties. Chair Powell was nominated by President Trump and renominated by President Biden. Chair Yellen split her term between the Trump and Obama administrations. Then there's Bernanke, nominated under Bush, renominated by Obama. Greenspan was originally a Reagan pick, but served under both Bushes and Clinton. You get my drift. Sure do. Let's circle back then to reason number three, why elections tend not to matter for the economy. Yes. Beyond the question of who controls what policy, we need to see that the economic cycle is sort of doing its own thing. Policies can certainly affect the length of the, of the economic cycle, even the severity of it. But what are policies? What is public policy? Policies are incentives. If I raise taxes and I raise interest rates, 
it might cause households and corporates to spend and invest less, slowing the economy. But there's no enforcement mechanism, right? In this sense, the economic cycle is quite independent, and we are all policymakers and regular citizens along for the ride. In sum, the relationship between political leadership and the economy and the markets is looser than many investors think. But all of the political debate can't be for naught. And like you said, Julia, policies can influence if, but not how, the cycle plays out. So let's move to our second fundamental question about investing in election years. All of that up to now was just for question one. This one will be a little shorter. What does move markets then? And it's our take here that it's always policy, not politics, that can enact real change. And we are watching certain policy areas quite closely because they do have that potential to raise the perceived stakes and risks involved in this particular 2024 election. The first I want to highlight is the amount and sustainability of federal debt levels. Everybody spends. Everybody's administration has added meaningfully to our debt. Solutions, though, have been scarce. And we don't expect a near-term holistic solution for either party in 2024. What matters most, we think, is where the next administration focuses its spending and how it decides to fund it. We'd expect winners and losers to emerge from specific approaches once we have more information as the year progresses throughout 2024. The international approach is the third area we're watching. And while the geopolitical news flow has been quite busy, and there are some very real questions about the war in Ukraine, the conflict in Israel, economic ties with China, we expect the international conversation to broaden in 2024. We'd expect to see debates around topics like energy independence, relationships in our tech supply chain, and access to resources. And of course, at the same time that these debates are going on, we will add to this analysis as proposals and approaches emerge. That's a perfect time to start our Portfolio Pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And it also brings us to the final question you posed at the very beginning of the program, Julia. What do I do with all of this in my portfolio? Our listeners can be forgiven for thinking, well, you just told me that elections don't drive the market, so I'll just keep my allocation the same. Yeah, and frankly, that may be the right approach for many investors. Well-diversified portfolios are built with the intention of weathering economic and election cycles. This is one way to approach risk when everything feels risky. Historically, investors have shied away from equity risk and moved toward the money market or bonds during an election year. But equities, like we discussed earlier, have strong election cycle returns. So follow the herd at your own peril. And for those that are interested in seeking out the potential winners and losers from spending that we discussed earlier, trading in and out of tactical bets, that may still not be the right way to do it. Instead, consider the role of active management in times like these. This can help preserve asset class and sector level agility while also maintaining the professional allocation and risk overlay when things feel volatile. Coming up next, will the economic data hold up in the final stretch of the year? We'll see, but that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. And in the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. But until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin here with Julia Herman. We'll see you next time.
Our podcast is produced by Will Tyus, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.